On February 12th of this year, in the second impeachment trial of former President Trump, his lawyer, Michael Vanderveen, misspoke in an interesting manner as he defended Trump's actions challenging election results. To litigate questions of election integrity within the system is not incitement to resurrection, he said. It is not incitement to resurrection. What he meant to say, of course, is that it was not incitement to insurrection, named in the article of impeachment. But quite apart from any details about the trial or the activities surrounding it, the phrase stuck with me. Incitement to resurrection. How would one go about inciting resurrection? And what better time to ask than on Easter Sunday? And if we look at the story of Easter, the stories actually, as they take different forms in the Gospels of Christian Scripture, if we look at them as parables, as John Dominic Crisan suggested in the reading, we could only conclude that if anything incited resurrection, that it was utter hopelessness, profound sorrow and loss, seeming devastation. Think of it. Jesus' crucifixion should have sounded the death knell for the followers of Jesus. It is understandable that they scattered in fear, frightened that the vicious Roman rule would delight in crucifying them immediately upon the heels of their teacher. They were, there were always open slots available for public executions. And now, without their teacher, without Jesus, why go on? Why risk it? How would they continue even if they wanted to? It is understandable that they would find themselves lost, that the circumstances would lead to despair, that there would seem to be no way forward. The story tells us that it was this backdrop of despair that set the stage for resurrection. This hopelessness that incited, if you will, resurrection. Because clearly something happened. Even if we choose to see the actual story of bodily resurrection as a metaphor, we also know that something happened to this small band of Jesus' followers. Something turned their despair and fear into hope and courage. Some sort of moment or moments or miracle or revelation or happening or awareness or transformation, something occurred. Bishop John Shelby Spong offers his own interpretation in a book entitled Resurrection, Myth, or Reality. He sees it not as an Easter morning miracle, which he regards as metaphor, but as a process that occurs over many months, as Jesus' followers and Peter in particular tries to make sense of all that had happened. They feel that Jesus brought them closer to God, yet could God have given any clearer sign of displeasure than allowing Jesus to be killed? 
They knew that Jesus was dead, that this part of their lives was over, yet something of it stays with them. Even as they take up their old lives and surrender to what seems a foregone conclusion, it's over. Whatever this was, is done. They try to forget it all, as it has only brought them pain, suffering, and danger. And yet, something like hope seems to survive even their crushing defeat. Something of the vision that they have shared will not let go. Resurrection suggests Fong is not a divine event entering our world from outside the realm of human experience, but is a transformation that occurs very much within human experience as we bravely put one foot in front of the other, even when we want to give up. As we wrestle with the questions, even when we despair of ever having answers. As we continue one breath following another as best we can. Because understand, this is not a Bible study. Though what really happened for the disciples and the followers of Jesus is an interesting question, I am much more interested in Easter stories that may be happening right now. What intrigues me about Spong's story is that idea that something had changed so decisively for Simon Peter and for others who had known and traveled with Jesus that though they attempted it, they could simply not slip back into what they might have termed as normal life. Something had changed. They had been provided a glimpse of a different kind of world, of a different type of community, of different priorities, already shared across centuries of religious and ethical thought, yes, but different than the priorities that held the most power in the empire. Different but known, ancient but brand new, love one another. What you would not want done to you, do not do to others. Treat others as you would wish to be treated. Feed the hungry. Shelter those who have no homes. Provide clean water for those who thirst. Do justice. Love mercy. Walk humbly. And not only the teachings, but the possibility had grabbed hold of them, the embodiment through the actions and the teachings and the presence of this guy, Jesus. And having seen and felt and experienced it, hard as they may have tried, as much as they may have wished to retreat, there was simply no way to simply return to their own lives to find their way back to normal any more than the little not could reverse time and seal her shell and reattach herself to the great tree. I so love this phrase from the Little Nut story. Something new began to poke up from her cracked heart center. Something new began to poke up from her cracked heart Center. Oh my goodness, if I had only one prayer for us all, for humanity, it would be that. 
It would be that this time of fear and anguish caused by the pandemic, this time of being a captive audience to the ongoing brutality of white supremacy, this time of counting the cost in human lives of cynical politics and empty religion, this time of rediscovering through sorrow and loss our inherent interdependence and interconnectedness, this time of craving and fearing connection and togetherness all at once, this time of witnessing over and over again, witnessing senseless violence, and again, what other kind is there? And we dispense with that adjective, violence, senseless. This time of witnessing who we are, yes, in all our beauty and in all our ugliness. That this time, this is my prayer, that this time would lead to something new poking up from our cracked heart center. However uncomfortable that may be, whatever worry it may inspire as we seek to return to normal. A year ago on Easter Sunday, I said, back to normal is a phrase you hear a lot these days. How long before things get back to normal? Will things ever return to normal? What do you think this will be over? When will it be over and we can get back to normal? There is an understandable desire to return to the familiar with much of what that includes regarding physical closeness to those we love and a worry-free engagement with the world at large. And many of you have shared with me an equally eager anticipation for what can change and how things may be different from this point going forward. Certainly our necessary isolation has led many of us to deepen our understanding of the importance of our connections and of being present to one another and of being grateful for our relationships. Certainly the sudden halt to business as usual has opened up our ideas of what may be possible as society was forced to hit pause and allow the earth to take her first deep cleansing breath in ages. Certainly a virus that is no respecter of persons has led us to deepen our understanding of our connection, our interdependence, our interbeing, while alerting us in new ways to the grim realities of decades of inequality and injustice and marginalization, as the people who have suffered most before this happened are suffering more now that it is happening. And now this year, as more and more people are vaccinated, the attractive vision of returning to normal beckons or leaning forward beckons stronger each day. And it makes some of my fears from last year seem more real. When we get back to normal, Will we come to take our relationships for granted again and allow physical proximity to stand in for actually being present to one another 
and put off the things we really want to express to those we love until we finish our to-do lists. When we get back to normal, won't business as usual, as much as it has been disrupted, quickly reassert its power, convincing us once again of its unalterable nature? When we get back to normal, will we, ironically enough, resume understanding ourselves as separate from others, solitary in our pursuits? When we get back to normal, will we let go of the possible and settle for the familiar? What if things don't go back to normal? What if they can't? What if the vision we've shared of what is possible will simply not let go of us? And I also don't want to let go of the vision that has arisen from these painful and scary circumstances. A glimpse of a different kind of world, of a different kind of community, of different priorities already shared across centuries of religious and ethical thought, yes, but different from the priorities that hold the most power in this empire. Different but known, ancient but brand new, love one another. What you would not want done to you, do not do to others. Treat others as you would wish to be treated. Feed the hungry Shelter those who have no homes. Provide clean water for those who thirst. Do justice. Love mercy. Walk humbly. What if? What if things don't go back to normal? What if this vision of a new life has such a hold on us that we are willing to bear the responsibilities and difficulties of this resurrection? What if we bring together the community of people who have had this vision, this experience of something changing, and realize that even if we can't join hands, we can refuse to be divided? Realize that even if we can't unite in a particular place, we can maintain unity. Realize that even as we are urged to get back to normal, to sacrifice ourselves even for business as usual, that we would rather spend our time and our lives working for a new world, however costly it may be, knowing that even if we are not able to witness the fruition of our vision physically, we will have contributed to the struggle. History says don't hope on this side of the grave, but then, once in a lifetime, the longed-for tidal wave of justice can rise up and hope and history rhyme. What if, even though history instructs us not to hope on this side of the grave, this is that once-in-a-lifetime longed-for tidal wave of justice rising up. What if this is that time when hope and history rhyme? What if we simply can't stop what is now poking up and growing from our cracked heart center? What if, like little nut, it sprouts despite our worries and grows despite our grumbles? What if we could transform our understanding of this time from the time that inspired hopelessness 
to the time that incited resurrection. What if? Sounds to me like an Easter story. 